Good morning, Frontline Bible Church. That was like a 7.5 out of 10, but it's okay. It's morning. I had an extra shot of espresso this morning, so we are going to do good. Hello to our online audience. Thank you guys also for tuning in. Um, it's funny because I was over there reviewing my sermon because I had a crazy weekend and I hadn't had much time to like ingest it as much as I'd like, so I'm about as surprised about the sermon as you are. But the other thing is, is I was over there and I'm like studying and I hear Ben ask a question about a song and I'm like, okay, something's going on. And then I'm like, Dwayne, yeah, maybe. And then I don't know, there was some talk and I was like, whatever. It's like, apparently nobody knows whatever song he's talking about. I got to keep studying this. And then I hear the intro to Graves into Gardens. And I was like, I love this song. So uh, the, that was uh, fantastic. Thank you for doing that. I, uh, so a couple things. This weekend, many guys might know, I am part, um, I do an online ministry that is called The Church Split, and we're part of the RFP Network. That's Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast Network. And we do different things where we help people get out of extreme groups of fundamentalism that actually are very detrimental. Many guys might not be familiar with that, but what it was was this weekend, Oh, you got to do a meetup where we got to go there with some of the other people, meet some of the uh, people who have been blessed by the ministry. And we also sang Graves into Gardens because a lot of these people through extreme measures of poor theology have been really hurt by the church. And so when I come into Graves into Gardens, I'm always like, that's it right there. You turn mourning into glory. So... Thank you guys for doing that because that is definitely, I actually requested that song this weekend when we went to this meetup for people who had been hurt by, hurt by poor theology in the church. So it was great. It was like, oh, refreshing. So anyway, with all that being said, do me a favor and go turn to your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We are uh, continuing our series on embracing opposition that Pastor John has been going through. And while he's gone, he asked me to cover what we're going to cover today. So many of you guys, while you're turning, many of you guys know, and I like to kind of like bring us to where we are today in the series a little bit. As you know, this letter was written to Jews, right? In like Turkey is where it would be today. They were, it was written to Jews who were believers in Christ that were being persecuted for their faith. In chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he reminds them of their glorious salvation that they have only through Jesus Christ. Because he's going, you guys are going through a lot right now. You're experiencing a lot right now. Remember your salvation. That should be the one of the first things when you are dealing with uh, opposition. First thing that should pop in your head is my glorious salvation. It's encouraging. And that's where Peter was going to. That's my baby. I apologize. Actually, I don't. Um, so the, we are the loud row back here. There's a loud row, and that's my row. So, um, but I'm quiet. So anyway, that's, that's bonus points. Um, what is it? Quietness promotes reverence. Is that how it goes? Just kidding. But anyway. The Lord, but then the Lord brought them into a new life, and this new life ought to bring them comfort in this life. So when you're going through things, you have to remember, first off, I have a new life in Jesus Christ. So if I have a new life in Jesus Christ, then why am I so worried about this life? That's my old life. My new life is what is to come. So in chapter 1, it's about encouragement in the walk of the new life. And chapter 2 is about the accountability of living up to that new life despite the exterior circumstances. So yeah, okay, you got this new life, but now what? Well, now you have to have accountability in that new life. And let's be honest, a lot of us don't like accountability. We don't. Why? Because that means someone's got to tell you you're wrong. 
And how many of you guys like to be wrong? Nobody. Actually, one of my favorite things I'll get accused of um, in, in ministry sometimes, like, well, Will, you always have to be right. And my natural retort is, do you like to be wrong? No. Okay, so let's talk about who's right. Always my wife. Um, so if, if chapter one is about encouragement there, oftentimes we Christians allow ourselves to be controlled by the external situations around us. We don't actually just live in the moment and live in peace. We know we don't go, all right, God, what do you want? I'm going, to pursue, I'm going to pursue what you want. These things here don't matter. I'm only what you want. No, we start making our decisions on snap decisions on what's going on around us. We start reacting, right? And that's not what he's telling us to do. So we're going to go through some of this. And sometimes we forget that our truest calling and thus our, through our extenuating circumstances, we use to justify ungodly behavior, Right? Well, I know what I did was wrong, but if you only understood the situation, <laughs> right? Well, let me just tell you, and you'll understand that I'm not as bad as that guy, right? This is what Peter starts to get at a little bit in the passage. Before we jump into the passage, the title of this is Got Milk. You guys might remember that back in the day, you know, those, those Got Milk commercials. Of course you do. Now, when it comes, what was that whole thing? Of course, it was always a milk commercial. But the idea here in this passage, and biblically speaking, is, is that milk is for babies and that there's meat for those who are growing up. But we're going to talk. So I have once in a while, I've been getting back into trying to get in shape. I started doing Insanity Max 30 a little bit. And if you guys have ever done anything with Shanti, my wife has been killing it, by the way, every morning, getting up and just killing it. When you're doing that, when you're just trying to get in shape and get back into where you used to be, you'll notice a few things. One, you're going to pull a lot of muscles at the beginning. You're going to find muscles you didn't even know you had. And what do you need, need during that time? Well, when you first start off getting, working out, are you going to instantly start bench pressing 250 pounds? No. You've got to start with the basics, don't you? You've got to go get some milk before you get the meat, if that makes sense. And for me, that is what I think of. So when the first day, I was like, all right, I'm going to take it real easy the first few days. Otherwise, if I just go, go for it, I'm not going to be able to work out for the next two weeks because I'll destroy everything. So you have to be careful here. So when, with that being said, when, I, when we're asking Got Milk today in that cheesy commercial that we all can think of, I want you guys to consider the fact that it's talking about going back to something. So with that being said, oh, well, we're going to actually, spoilers. All right. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says this. This is our text for today. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And we're going to break this down. And by the way, Pastor John is very time conscientious. I have a Baptist background. I don't care. So if I'm done in 20 minutes, cool. If not, we're going to get done when we get done, okay? I'll try to make sure we're home for lunch. Don't worry. So the prop today, the question I want to ask you is how can you grow in the goodness of God? How many of you guys desire to grow in the goodness of God? Absolutely. We all should. We're Christians. If you want to grow in the goodness of God, then I want you guys to pay attention to some of the things today because we're going to get a little real. We're going to get a little raw today, okay? So if you truly want to embrace opposition and you truly want to know how to deal with that, you want to embrace it, you have to have a right mind about you. That's why it says, 
be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's something new, and it's something that has to be transformed. There has to be a right mindset. You need to have your heart set on the things which are above and not below. So with that being said, there's a reason why Peter starts off with, okay, great, you're going through a lot of stuff, but first you need to set aside some things. You need to set aside some Christian sins. Now, malice is up there. We're going to talk about that. But what is a Christian sin? You're like, what? I didn't know there was a category difference. Me and Pastor John talked about this, and it was something that we both cracked up at. Because we as Christians, we go, I'm a pretty good person. I don't steal. I didn't kill anybody this week. You know, um, I don't beat my kids. I go to work. I clock in. I clock out. I'm a pretty good guy. I even clean my room once in a while. Sometimes my wife doesn't even ask me, and I'll do dishes once every six months. <laughs> I am a great guy. Um, but there's these Christian sins, these ones that we don't think about each and every day because we allow our culture to say these are the really bad things. And we don't consider the fact that, did you know in the New Testament, Paul talks more about these sorts of things than he talks about the other stuff? Because the other stuff are like, yeah, no, duh. <laughs> Congratulations, you didn't, you know, you didn't cane somebody, if you know what I mean. Um, that was an able joke. All right, so setting aside Christian sins, putting away malice. He starts off putting away malice. Putting away malice means evil intent. This is the same word he uses later on in the same chapter in verse 16. When he says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So it's using that same word for evil. Put away evil. Put away malice. Evil intent. And you go, well, I have no evil intent toward nobody. I am a forgiving Christian. 70 times 7. I know that passage. Matthew 18. I'm great at this. But here's the thing. Is there someone that you're malicious toward? Ask yourself this right now. Is there someone I'm malicious toward? Do you respond maliciously when things don't go your way? Are you willing to say, it's okay that it didn't go my way? Or is it the moment you don't get your way, you want to have evil intent? Now, you might say, oh, no, I don't think I have evil intent towards somebody. Great, let's put it to the test. Think of somebody right now that you might be malicious toward, but you're not quite sure yet. If there is a person in your life who has wronged you terribly, We've all been wronged by somebody. If there's somebody and something terrible happened to them right now, that person that wronged you, would you have compassion for them or would you have a small internal celebration? <laughs> I mean, it's funny, but at the same time, yikes. Somebody may have wronged me, but if something terrible happens to them, does something deep inside me kind of go, yeah, show you. That's God. <laughs> We bring God into the equation, and God's like, uh, that's not what's going on. Fun fact, there is a personal struggle. This is actually a personal struggle of my own. I am as petty as a bumblebee. Let me explain what that means. You are hanging out in your park, minding your own business, right? And this bumblebee goes by, and you just do something. For whatever reason, it irritated said bumblebee. It, it's mad, and what does it do? It stings you. But when it stings you, what happens to it? It dies. I relate with the bumblebee, okay? I'm the one who's like, nah, I'm definitely willing to really compromise myself to get back at somebody a little bit. That's something I'm always having to keep in check. 
I'll, I'll be honest, that's like, that's always a struggle of mine. My, that's why my wife is great. I'll be like, oh, so-and-so. She's like, Ahem. is that bitterness? Is that maliciousness? It's pretty good. So I'm preaching to myself here. It's not just me. I mean, it's not just you. You get it. All right. So malice is the other side of the same coin of love myself. Because you only have evil intent towards somebody if you have extreme love for yourself. You love yourself so much that you're willing to compromise somebody else. Right? So also, most of the time we're holding malice against somebody. Can we just be honest? It's usually a misunderstanding. Half the things that you're all upset about people with, they don't even know about because you haven't even followed Matthew 18 yet. You haven't even sat down and talked to them yet, but you know for sure that they were trying to get back at you or they're trying to dig at you when really you have no idea and you are just asserting everything. So half the time when you're malicious, you're being petty and stupid. I'm just being honest. <laughs> Again, fingers pointing at me as well. So put that away. Also, all deceit. He, so he goes next. So he goes, all right, so put aside malice. You're Christians. You serve the God who loved everyone so much he created everything in the first place and gave his son for it. So show that love and put away malice. Then he says, also put away deceit. You know why? Because God is truth. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Anything opposite of him is a lie. So he's telling you to live in the truth. When we worship God, it's in spirit and in Truth. Truth never changes. Truth is objective. It is immutable. Okay? And yet, we, sometimes, when things get a little tough and a little rough and the extenuating circumstances dictate, we suddenly are okay with twisting the truth. And then we go, oh, I serve the, the true God of the universe. When you just perverted truth itself. You see what I'm saying? And this is why he's saying it's such a big deal. This is the idea of trying to take advantage of someone through treachery or underhandedness. Have truths, so to speak. My favorite is when you get the kid who's like, well, I didn't lie. I just didn't tell him about that part. It's like, okay, that's deceitful. We're not saying that's an outright lie. It's deceiving somebody. You're leading them to believe something else for your own personal gain. We love ourselves so much we use tricks Wrongful manipulation, guilt trips, and power plays on one another. If you try to manipulate people through such means, you're being deceitful and not upfront. We should communicate more directly than this. Why do you think uh, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go between him, you and him alone? Why? Because he's saying, be direct. Paul went straight to Peter's face and confronted him in front of a bunch of people. It's terrifying. Could you imagine that, by the way? Peter is Peter, okay? He's really well-known. He's well, more well-known than Pastor John. And that'd be like Pastor John coming up here, and, then I'm, and I'm over there in the back like, you know what? He did something wrong this week. He put the Gentiles to the side while he hung out with the Jews. I'm going to confront him right now <laughs> in front of God and everybody. And it's funny because we Christians would oftentimes find that offensive. But this is part of that culture thing. We're letting culture dictate truth and not God's word. That's not what it is. God dictates truth, which means, you know what? I ought to welcome being corrected. That's why I say it all the time. Like, I have some of the, my, my closest friends have no problem running up to me and going, Will, you done messed up. And you know what I normally do when it's one of my closest friends? I first argue with them for a few minutes, try to justify myself, then I get pigeonholed, and then I realize I'm wrong. And then guess what? Who has to repent? This guy. 
And if you, don't, if you have friends, but this is not even in my notes. If you have friends that don't do that, you need new friends, or you need to get better friends, or you need to start building up your friend group. You need good friends that are going to keep you in line. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. So we love ourselves, and so that the, this comes down to just we love ourselves so much that we're, we're willing to use wrongful manipulation. And we should communicate more gracious, I mean, more directly, rather than trying to be a puppet master. And then what does Peter say next? Put away hypocrisy, the hypocrisy. The hypocrisy. How many of you know a hypocrite? How many of you just drives you nuts when you find hypocrisy? How many of you realize that you sometimes too are a hypocrite? Does that irritate you as much as it irritates you when you realize other people are hypocrites? It should. It should irritate you more. One of my favorite things that I get, um, and uh, one of my, the president of my seminary at Trinity, uh, Dr. Braxton Hunter, pointed this out. How many of you guys have heard that I don't go to church because, because why? Oh, there's hypocrites there. Bunch of hypocrites. Well, <laughs> how many of you go to Walmart? How many people in Walmart are still hypocrites? Oh, but you go there. You see how silly that is? You, and guess what? We're all hypocrites at some point. The question is, do you recognize your hypocrisy when it happens, and do you change behavior? That's the difference. So we are not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. So stop trying to, oh, well, I don't go to church, or I don't deal with these people because they're a bunch of hypocrites. Of course they're hypocrites. So are you sometimes. I, there's nothing worse than why I realize I've been one. Because I literally have done everything in my life because I was raised in such an extreme group of Christianity where I saw hypocrisy everywhere and it made me so sick. So I'm like, no, I will live consistently with my worldview. And you know what? Even with that amount of determination, I still contradict myself. It's going to happen. We're only human. But let's talk about hypocrisy. I have a list of things. So there's so much that could be said here about Christian hypocrisy. And I don't want to point out the obvious ones, right? The, the obvious ones are obvious. I wanted to kind of get into some other things. So this is the idea of saying one thing, but doing another. And I'm just going to read through a few things, okay? I have a list. And then hopefully I um, punch you somewhere in between the eyes like some of these do to me. Don't talk to your mother like that, as you just berated her minutes ago. I love Jesus, as you find absolutely any way you can to justify your sin, ignoring the fact that it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We need more people willing to serve in the church as you sat there as a pew warmer for months doing nothing yourself. I'm telling you, when I was pastoring a church, that was a big one for me when I was a lead pastor. Well, pastor, we need this and we need this, we need this, we need this. I'm like, okay, hey, cool. You want to help lead that? Oh, no, someone else needs to do it. I'm like, I don't know why you're complaining because we only have so many people that can work. So that's, or the, one of my other favorites, that guy's theology is wrong. His views are wrong. He should try to study and understand my theology, but I'm not going to read or try to understand his. <laughs> um, you want to have a good conversation with somebody, yet you don't want to try to understand them, but you want them to understand you? Uh, or this, I'm pro-life, but all I do for the cause is I hit a check mark on a ballot every few years. Christians should be more giving as you pinch your own pennies, making sure you never give to anything. I wish I could study the Bible the way you do as you watch your sixth episode of Netflix that day and refuse to read a book or scripture itself because you simply don't have the time. 
This is real talk, okay? I know, you're all, it's like, I've, I've already seen people going like, oh, yeah, dude, this is, this is real. <laughs> we don't, we don't, we, why don't people care about me or my feelings? Meanwhile, for years, all you've ever done is accuse everyone else around you of not truly caring, while you also haven't cared for their feelings. The church should, be more, should help more people, but not me. Let someone else do it. Let somebody give the time, money, wisdom, or whatever to do it. I'm just too busy. That's similar to another point, but that's the thing I've heard before. The church should show more grace as you've shown nothing but a critical spirit toward every other believer for years. That is a big one, right? Oh, the church should show more grace. But man, somebody steps wrong, and I'm going to give them both barrels. Where's your grace? The church should show more love and acceptance as you have alienated and been vitriolic to those whom you disagree. We shouldn't defend people when Jesus promises that the world will literally hate you. Our body is a temple. We shouldn't get tattoos, but I can eat McDonald's every day. That one was sent to me by a close friend. I was like, oh, yikes. Do not be brought under the power of any. Don't live in excess of alcohol or drugs, but I can be a workaholic and never see my family because that's the responsible thing to do. You see, you, you see in this? We got it, only a couple more, guys. Being a servant to others and never saying no, but the moment when someone takes the time to say no and, and care for their own family, you consider them lazy or selfish. God cares about the heart as you have thought critically and harshly about any Christian who looks differently than you. Hypocrisy. Contradictions. Contradictions in our worldview. There's a reason Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. Because our fruit should live consistently. I have worked for years to try to live consistently as possible and I still fail. But that does not mean it's an excuse to have a fail pass. We should still be introspective and always always identifying those issues and always depending on God to help us with those issues. Um, I've even known recently a pastor who spoke self-righteously. He even spoke down to other pastors' wives whom he disagreed with and very public about this. Called them fat and everything and was recently arrested for battering his wife. And what do you think that does for the cause of Christ? Oh, we're Christians. Oh, we love God so much. And then you just live this way of constant contradiction. Do you think people can take your faith seriously? It's going to be hard, right? Because your testimony speaks loudly. Your words say one thing, but your deeds do another. You see the problem here? Sorry, this is my Baptist background coming in. I'm preaching hard. Um, so I've known people in church who have also been upset um, that someone had a beer while that same person who was upset that someone had a beer was growing weed in their basement. I can't make this up. I can, I kid you not, this has happened. So again, it shows that we don't take the cause of Christ seriously when we are so flippant about our contradictions. We should be actively seeking them out so we can live in consistency with Jesus Christ. And that way we can be a better beacon for the gospel. And show that the gospel does change your life. And I'm not saying it's going to happen over time like that. Okay, it's not. Sanctification is a process. But it's going to be something that you should try. Okay, I hung out there longer than I wanted to. But 
Envy. He said, put away envy. Have you ever looked at someone's life and wished you could have it? <laughs> That's envy. Has a friend of yours ever gotten a promotion, and instead of being happy for them, you wonder, well, where's my promotion? <laughs> um, envy happens when we compare our lives to others' lives, hoping for their results. You're not them, and they're not you. As Dr. Jordan Peterson says, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who someone else is today. Ironically, many people who live a jealous life find no fulfillment in their current blessings because they're too busy looking at other people's blessings, wishing that they had their blessings. What? But God gave you blessings. Be thankful for yours. Um, I was talking to my wife recently. When we got married, I mean, we had a futon, a twin-size bed, and a 24-inch TV. And now we have a house. We have cars. I have a 70-inch Sony 4K. Bless God. Um, and, <laughs> and I have all these things. And I was looking. I'm like, we've come a long way. That is a blessing. And you know what? I might go to someone else's house, and it's three times bigger. And they can make a lot more money than me. But you know what? God's blessed me. And I don't need to compare enviously to somebody else. God's blessed me. And you might not even have those things. But I mean, consider the fact that even in America, if you live in poverty, you're living double, the the, like double in life better than places in rural areas of Africa and in Mexico. Even poverty here is better than most places. And also, envy spits in the face of God, saying that what he has given you isn't enough. I wish I could make them that money that he makes. I wish my spouse was as pretty as that person's. I wish I had parents like that. I'd be happy if I just had, insert here. That's an envious spirit. And this is the ultimate idea of being self-centered, right? Self-focused. I want that. I want that. And then finally, slander. Ugh. Oh, slander. This is a big one. What if I told you, this is going to be a plot twist for everyone in this room. What if I told you that churches are one of the biggest gossip cesspools? Yeah. How many of you guys have ever heard someone gossip about you in church or found out someone? Yeah, yeah, everybody at some point. That's not supposed to be. Putting away slander and gossip. In Jewish law, and I study a lot of Jewish law. I study Torah a lot. That's one of my biggest things. But there is a Jewish law on this very specific topic called Lashan Hara. Lashan Hara is this idea of you don't slander and you don't gossip. When you read the Bible, what does it constantly say about keeping control of your tongue? It's always talking about gossip and slander, isn't it? Putting people down, hating on them, uh, gossiping about them. And did you know in Lashan Hara, you weren't even supposed to speak about it even if it was true? Well, I'm not gossiping. I'm just telling the truth. And we're not supposed to. You know why? Because that's not, your, it's not yours to share a lot of times. Not unless, of course, someone's in danger. Then, of course, there's a, that's another process. But by, biblically, they make that very clear. Gossip and slander are expressly forbidden in Scripture. The sin of the tongue is considered deeply evil in Judaism, and it should be considered just as evil in Christianity. Because guess what? That law still applies. Gossip and slander. Oddly enough, speaking of hypocrisy and weird things that 
you'd only find in Western world today. Um, their law says nothing about what we call profanity, but rather the devastation that gossip, slander, deceit can cause. Hear me out. How many of you have been absolutely devastated because of gossip or slander and somebody hearing a half-truth and running with it and exposed things in your life that made things way harder on you or others and hurt everyone around you? How many of you have experienced that? Really? Only like six? Come on, uh, that's way more. I'm going to say probably all of you have experienced that because I think everyone has. So when you're doing that, you're causing problems. But you know what's funny? How many of you can say you experienced that? Now, those of you who were hurt, all right, actually, my hand raisers. Let me see those who raised your hand that you've been hurt by this. How many of you were hurt by that because somebody used a profane word? Suddenly the hands go down. You're like, no, that didn't bother, that, that's not what bothered me. What bothered me was the hurt and evil intent behind what was said, right? Because when the Bible says not to curse, do you know what it's actually talking about? It's talking about putting people down with slander. I'm not sitting there saying that you go out here and cuss like sailors, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying as Christians today, we go, oh, I can't believe that word he just said. Meanwhile, you hear some hot tea gossip over here, and you're going to go run to it and eat it up like, I don't know, a ravenous pig. Right? Oh, tell me all the goodies. But you'll be offended if somebody uses a four-letter word. What? So, you get my point. We are, the sin of the tongue is a real thing, and the Bible makes expressly clear it's gossip and it's slander, it's cursing people, one another. Okay? Think about it. What we, again, um, gossip and slander were forbidden even if it was true. This is what James was getting at in James chapter 3, verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Part of our American hypocrisy is that we would consider someone who uses profanity all day a terrible sinner, but when someone gossips and slanders, you don't blink an eye. Worse yet, you might even listen to it. This goes back to malice. Even in scriptures when it says cursings, again, it's not talking about what you think. We have to be careful not to read our Bible with Western eyes. Look up the, the historical definitions and it'll actually change your life a lot. And it actually gets a little bit deeper. Put away gossip and slander. These will stunt your growth in Christ. You want to grow in Christ? Put these away. Stop tearing people down with your words and use your God-given mouth to build up and exhort and love and good works. James 3.9 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And if you go through Proverbs, it talks a lot about the flippantness of the fool's tongue. So, let's get to the next point here. Now we can stop being so intense, and we're going to go back to the basics. So he says, put these away. We're going back to the basics. And he says, like new, back to 1 Peter chapter 2, that, those first three verses, he says this, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Babies need milk, right? Babies need milk. It's no surprise. Babies need milk. My, my wife and I, our baby is nine months old, and she needs milk. I'm going to tell a funny story. Julius, I'm sorry. I already asked her permission, so it's okay. So Julius and Micah moved in with us about, I don't know, a month and a half ago. And my wife, she breastfeeds. 
right? Because, whoa, I know, biology, shock, I just said that up here. One of the funny things that happened, though, was, so she pumps, and she puts them in these little, these little milk canisters, okay? And we we're all there, and she has them dated, they're all lined up in the fridge, and then there's the normal milk. You guys, some of you guys already know where this is going. <laughs> so what happens is Julius is like, all right, I want some cereal, and, uh, and he gets that, he gets, uh, he's and he looks at it and he's like, oh man, organic milk is what his thought was. <laughs> and he grabs it, pops it open, pours it in there, stirs it up, has himself some nice couple bowls of cereal. I say a couple. <laughs> and Callie that day was like, my gosh, I can't keep up with my production. I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> and then, I don't know what happened. Somebody at some point like, mentioned like, oh, it's something about the breast milk bottles. And then Julius is over there at the table and he's like, What? That's what? Oh. <laughs> By far one of the funniest things ever happened. I can't get over that. That's hilarious. And, and you know what's funny? <laughs> and Julius is like, it didn't taste bad. Like, um, that's why babies like it, Julius. Um, so the point is here, is it's funny because all of us are like, oh my gosh, that's gross, that's crazy. You know why though? It's because the milk is for the baby. <laughs> all right? So babies need milk. But what is spiritual milk, okay? Back on track. People make similar references, uh, Paul makes similar references in 1 Peter chapter 3 when there's a, a battle between Paul and Apollos, right? Everyone's like, well, I follow Paul because he baptized me. I follow Apollos because he taught me. And there's this whole battle between these things. And what does Paul say? Because Paul's trying to bring unity. He goes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4, it says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Notice how condescending is kind of being to them, right? their lack of spiritual meat, that they're like little babies, and he's got to almost condescend, right? Because there's a different context here. Peter is not trying to condescend when he says, long for that spiritual milk. He's not trying to condescend. He's going, no, no, you're going through some things. You are being persecuted for your faith. Go back to the basics and remember that spiritual milk that you grew on so strongly. Because my baby will not grow without that, right? That's how she grows strong. Well, sometimes you have to go back to the basics, when you're, when you're experiencing intense opposition. In our Christian walk, we should be seeking the meat. I like what the, how the KJV puts it. It says, study to show yourself approved unto God. If you're not studying and digging, you're crippling your spiritual walk. In an effort to dig in, we often forget, though, the essentials, don't we? We, of course, have to study. But sometimes we get so lofty, at least I do, I'm over here like, yeah, I, I know things, <laughs> But then we forget the basics. One of the things, and uh, so, for example, actually we're going to move forward here a little bit. These people were under intense persecution, right? Consider that these were Jews far away from Israel, and they only had their close community of Jews. But now they're following Jesus Christ, and now their own community is divided on the identity of Jesus. 
Was Jesus the Messiah? Was he not? Was Yeshua HaMashiach? Or was he just a guy who's crazy? So now they're alienated even more from their already alienated group. When everything around you is crumbling, when, you're, when all you have and you're all alone and you feel you've lost everything, let me ask you, what do you do? What do you do? No amount of understanding the divine relationship of the hypostatic union and the Molinistic view of God's sovereignty and free will choices of man and uh, what is it, sentia and media. You guys have no idea what I just said, do you? Maybe like three of you. You know why? Because as interesting as theology can be, back to the basics of what you need when you're in a hard situation. That is what you need. So you need to remember the basics from time to time, and you need to go back and refresh yourself. Because you know what? During times of adversity, when things are so difficult, it's so easy to fall back on the things that Peter just told us to stay away from, isn't it? When things get rough, that's when we want to use malice because we can grow angry and bitter at others due to our pain. We, want, we might be deceitful because during hardship, it's often easier to lie our way out of it. Hypocrisy, because when the going gets tough, it's easy to throw out the principles and do what's easy, so you contradict yourself. Envy, because when experiencing opposition, it's much easier to desire anything else besides what you're experiencing. And then slander, because when the rubber meets the road, things get rocky, it's easy to slam others and blame them rather than to endure righteously on your own. There's a reason why he pointed that out. This is why Peter tells them to long for the spiritual milk and long for the basics so that they don't fall into the easiest of sins. When life gets tough, go back to the simple truths of God. I'll tell you, read Psalms. Psalms is simple in many ways, right? They just kind of speak to you. Go back to the book of Psalms. Go back to the simple truths of God and dedicate to prayer. Remember that he never changes and rests in the steadfast truth of God. Why must we put these things aside and pursue the milk of the word, by the way? That by it, he says, you may grow up into salvation. This isn't like works-based salvation, by the way. I'm not gonna, I don't have time to dig into that part of it. But how can you expect to grow if you don't have the basics? For example, I can't expect my daughter who's trying to decide if she's on the bridge of a meltdown right now. I can't give her a steak, can I? No. Why? Because it's not ready yet. She's not there yet. So go back to the basics. Okay, when you, when you, opposition happens, sometimes we can spiritually crumble. So rebuild. Go back to the spiritual milk of the word. Just go back. Build it up. It's okay. And then I want to finally bring you to my closing point here. And I know we're going to go a few minutes over, but it's okay. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, is what he says at the end there. Notice this part of, is our responsibility. This is contingent on these things, that these things will happen if you indeed have tasted that the Lord is good. Many people get confused by this. How do you taste that the Lord is good? <laughs> you don't go licking your Bibles, I hope. No, what is, it's a Hebrew idiom that means intimately experience. Psalm 34, 8 says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Notice this verse is an invitation to experience God. He's saying, hey, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Intimately experience it for yourself. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. 
Go to the basics. The Lord is good because he is the refuge of our souls, the giver of life. Notice that Peter says in the first chapter, if you go back to one page, First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, he words this perfectly. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by, the God, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have grieved by various trials. You have a living hope. Are you resting in that? Are you experiencing opposition today? If so, you have a living hope. But in order to experience that living hope, you have to set aside the things that are going to hold you back, which are all those little things at the beginning of this. There's a reason why Peter says this in the text before he gets to chapter 2, right? And remember to have that relationship with Jesus Christ and you set aside those worldly desires. You can only endure trials, but you, you can, can not only just endure trials, but you can conquer them. Remember, Jesus Christ was rejected by his own people. He endured betrayal and he suffered as well. So I would like to invite you today, Frontline Bible Church, I'd like to invite you today that no matter what burden you are carrying around, that you set aside the desires of your sinful flesh and take the milk of the word and taste and see that the Lord is good. You don't need to depend on your flesh. You don't need to depend on your little weaknesses. You don't need to go back to the thing that is so easy to go back to. You can rest in the basic truths of the word. So I have some homework for you. Identify the sin in your life that you need to set aside. Slander, hypocrisy, things like that. What is holding you back spiritually? Next, if experiencing a trial, remember to go back to the fundamentals of the faith. Why am I who I am? These are the fundamentals. These are the basics. I'm going to anchor there and pray to God my refuge. And then finally, what C.S. Lewis says, though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. So rest in him. Your feelings, guys, what you're experiencing, that changes every single day he never does. So stay the course with him, set aside those things that so easily, easily beset you, and pursue the work of the Lord. With that being said, I'm going to close the, uh, this in prayer, then I'm going to invite Vicki up for some announcements. They, dear Lord and Holy Father, we thank you for this time, God. We thank you for this time, you're going to just dig into your word. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to identify these things that are setting us, that are holding us down. Help us to set aside the sins that so easily catch us, the, the, the secret sins, the, the ones that are easier to overlook and justify. Lord, help us not to depend on our feelings, but instead to depend on your truth and your anchor. God, I pray that you'll be with Frontline Bible Church. Lord, help them to be a, a weapon for the gospel. Equip them in your truth. And God, I pray that you'll just help us to get rid of any of those things that might set us Side. So, Lord, I pray for this now. God, I pray that everything that was done today was done in spirit and in truth. I pray that your spirit will convict and change our lives. And with that, in your holy and precious name, amen. Vicki?